With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Going to do Formula One now. Chris Midland, um, wonderful Formula One writer, contributor, broadcaster. But Sammy frosts the Warriors. And Sammy, since Drive to Vive, to survive started so Sammy I'd like you to do the Formula 1 chat please yes Steph when I said this morning mate we've got to talk some Formula 1 we have to talk Formula 1 you were like uh, okay Sammy well away you go so uh, I went straight uh, to the man who I call Mr Formula 1 Chris Medland who is a writer for Racer Mag Motorsport. He appears on a bunch of podcasts, and he has kindly given up some time up in the UK to come on and chat with us ahead of the uh, Azerbaijan Grand Prix this weekend. They've had a little break in Formula 1, and they've had about four weeks off since the Melbourne Grand Prix. We've got Azerbaijan, Baku this weekend, and uh, Chris Medlin has kindly joined us on the line now. G'day, Chris. Thanks very much for having me, buddy. Uh, nice nickname as well. I've definitely called worse. Yeah, Mr. Formula One. I'll see if I can make that one stick. Uh, Chris, it's been a bit of a weird, you know, four-week um, layoff or layover after the Melbourne Grand Prix. We had three Grand Prix to start the season, but then we sort of get this big break. But I guess uh, that's a good chance to just sort of take a breath, sit back and reassess things. So how have you viewed uh, the start of the 2023 Formula One season? Yeah, it's it's kind of a bit of a shame, isn't it? Because let's be honest, it's not been the most competitive at the front, or not at least at the very front. So obviously Red Bull have dominated it so far. And um, I think after a couple of years where they at least started more more excitedly, if we think of 2022 with Ferrari really taking, taking the fight at that stage, uh, and obviously 21 being an epic year the whole way through. So it's just a bit of a different vibe this year with having one team so far clear, but behind it's been great. So... Um, if we could remove Red Bull from the equation, it would be an amazing start to the season with sort of Aston Martin up there with Mercedes and Ferrari. But um, that's the bit that's kind of made this gap so strange because there's a lot of, I think, intrigue to see if anyone can get close to Red Bull. Um, people want to see how long Aston Martin can stay up there, if they can kind of remain the main challenger, uh, whether Mercedes can turn it around with all the changes they want to make. So there's a lot of things to get interested about, but kind of need to see things change if that makes sense it's kind of um looking for things to evolve whereas uh, it would have been more fun i think to everyone have been sat at home for a couple of weeks going can't wait for the next race because they've all been all been so competitive or you know we don't know who's going to win so um yeah it's a I, i'd say it's, it's in a sense it's slightly disappointing for i guess for the neutral not having such a, a great scrap at the front as we've been used to but this does happen and it, it is what makes the other season so great when you do have um, t- two teams at least fighting for wins all the time um, it- it's kind of special because it's clear that sometimes someone just gets it right like Red Bull have and, and start to run away with it a little bit Okay let's talk about that Red Bull are of course defending drivers champions uh, constructors champions they've been absolutely dominant to start the season they've won 12 of the past 13 races there's a little bit of chat around though Chris about maybe the sort of dominance turning people off the sport somewhat um i know toto wolf the mercedes principal was pretty quick to jump to uh, his rival's defense and port, point to the eight constructors championships they won uh, in the 2010s but but where do you sit on it chris firstly i guess how remarkable is it 
uh, just how dominant Red Bull are? And secondly, should there be fears of competitiveness and perhaps fans turning away? Uh, where I stand on it, I think, yeah, it's very impressive what Rebel have done. There's this little annoying uh, factor of the fact that they did breach the cost cap last year, but by such a small amount that it certainly doesn't equate to the advantage they've got now. Uh, there's two ways of looking at it. One is that they've done an exceptional job with their car, uh, and and they really have. But two is that then both Mercedes and Ferrari, as the, as the teams that were best placed to challenge, have both dropped the ball a little bit. So neither of them has done uh, as good a job, and therefore you know, the, the gap's pretty clear because there's no uh, obvious challenger. The fact that Aston Martin are up there as well is, is a great story, but that also kind of highlights the um, kind of slip-up it's only slight, but the slip up from Mercedes and Ferrari. So that's a bit disappointing, but um, I don't think it is going to turn people off like in a concerning way. I do think that, you know, there will be casual fans who just won't dedicate time to it because they think, well, it's not going to be epic. Um, you know, as, as you get with any sport, if it just doesn't seem like it's going to be that competitive or you think, you know, who's most likely to win, you're just less likely to move things around to watch live or something, but you keep an eye on it. If there is a good race, people are going to tune in for that or watch the highlights, whatever it may be. But also, I think actually Formula One's gone on such a, it's been on such a crest of a wave for so long that there's real momentum there that people are still going to be interested. It's just it's just how committed they are. But mm-hmm. given a bit of time, you know those gaps can co- close up. And you know, say next season is more competitive. I don't think the people that maybe this year have kind of fallen away slightly. They're not turning their back on the sport. They're just having one of those years where they'll talk about it in the future like oh that was a bit dull for me if they're not a red bull fan obviously if you're a red bull fan listening to this you're probably going brilliant uh got this all sewn up so um and as total wolf says look, this this does happen a lot mercedes had it and even through some big periods of dominance for mercedes formula one was growing uh and it was off the back of that growth actually that it then exploded when we got a season that was brilliant uh between two teams at the front so um, I don't think it's actually going to be as damaging, but obviously everyone would prefer it if we had epic battles all the time. For Mercedes fans, Chris, they must be pretty happy with how 2023 has started. They had so many issues last year. Uh, the car was obviously very, very slow, but they seem to have fixed a lot of those problems. Lewis Hamilton sort of back to being that sort of competitive top three driver, George Russell in there as well. Um, when you look at, say, Ferrari and Mercedes, are Mercedes the biggest challenges to, to Red Bull at the moment? Of those two teams, yeah. And what's really interesting is uh, out of the two of them and the way they speak, Ferrari seem to be kind of committing to the direction they're currently on. They feel like they actually largely got their car where they wanted it to be or expected it to be. It's just that Red Bull have, have done a much better job than they were expecting or predicting. Uh, maybe their targets were a bit too low. But they don't see a clear issue, one single issue that they need to resolve or a clear path way to go oh that's how we're going to close that gap quickly mercedes on the other hand instantly at the first race saw the level of competitiveness and were like okay we got it wrong with this car Let, let's rip it all up and start again it was like they were ready for it it's like they knew that they were taking a risk with this car and, and it's actually to me the most intriguing thing is that you're essentially got a team trying to rebuild its car potentially launch essentially a, a b-spec car um a replacement during the season and watching that play out is fascinating because we don't normally get to see it. It normally happens over a winter, but with the way the regulations are for next year, they're completely stable. So anything you do now will benefit you next year. So the quicker you can bring it, the better. And that's learning for the next season. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite interesting to watch. And the fact that on top of all that, as you say, especially with the way Melbourne went, Mercedes probably are in slightly better shape than Ferrari. Um, there just looks like there's a bit more potential in that team. Uh, at Mercedes so 
yeah, that I think they'd be a bit happier, despite being the ones that more vocally have been less happy, if that makes sense, mm. uh, just about where they're at. So they, they do feel the team right now that's most likely to make a big step towards Red Bull, put it that way. Mm, yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so Ferrari, who last year, um, Chris, in 2022, the way I sort of described it to people is whilst Red Bull was very, very quick and, and were the uh, winners of both the Drivers' and Constructors' Championships, I felt like Ferrari lost it more than Red Bull won it. Um, there were so many races where Ferrari just handed them the win with poor strategy, poor decision-making, uh, particularly from the team uh, in the pits rather than the two drivers. Um, so they made a whole bunch of changes in the off-season, um, a whole lot of... Uh, people coming in and out, um, changed personnel, etc. cetera. Uh, early signs for 2023, has it worked? Uh, I think it's a bit too early to say, to be honest, uh, in the sense that, yeah, the changes they made were at the very top. So, yeah, team principal, Fred Vasseur in, Mattia Bonotto out. And in doing that, it takes time for the boss to come in and even understand what the setup is, you know, what decisions have been made in the past, what, you know, as things happen on the fly, and then stamp his authority on it. You know, he's... He can't just walk in and say, right, um, I think you weren't very good at strategy in the past, so I'm sacking you all and getting new people in. One, it takes time. Uh, if you want to hire other people from other teams, they have gardening leave or um, notice periods that mean you can't get them in instantly. But two, he needs to you know, kind of assess whether the issue is the personnel, whether it was the structure, whether it was the way that they worked under pressure, whatever it may be. So Vasseur's still learning about that. I still think it's a good move, bring him in. I think he, he's brought a different kind of tone to the team. But the fact that actually this year started more poorly than last year, it means it's being kind of benchmarked against last year. They're probably about where they were towards the end of last season. Uh, there were mm. times they were the, the closest competitor to Red Bull, but there's other times that Mercedes were. If we think in Brazil, penultimate race, Mercedes won that, 1-2 uh, in, in the, with uh, Lewis Hamilton second to George Russell. So, you know, there were, there were times that Ferrari had slipped behind the top two teams and that's exactly where they are now. So I think it's just... The fact that it's a continuation, if anything, justifies the changes because it shows that they were, things weren't about to get better. Whereas if they'd hit the ground really strongly and looking like they were going to challenge and regularly were challenging Red Bull and, and fighting for wins right now and had a very quick car, you kind of say that they were premature in getting rid of the team principal because he'd laid the foundations and the team had designed a car and were producing a car that was going to be quick. So, mm. um, yeah, change, I, I, I come down on it. It was the right thing to do. Um, or it was a good move to bring in Fred Vasseur. I think he's the right character that they need because he's a bit different and, and he's external. So um, it's a fresh set of eyes on it all. But uh, we're really not going to see his his true impact. Um, I'd, see, I'd say the first time we can start judging him will actually be next season. But even oh. then, that's still actually quite early to have made a major impact. Oh, a team that uh, definitely has uh, turned it around and made a surprise start to 2023 is Aston Martin uh, and Fernando Alonso, who is 41 years of age in a young man's sport. He's got three podiums to start the season. Look, anyone who thought this guy should have retired after his time at Alpine, probably feeling a little bit red face at the moment, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll admit, there, there's been times in the past where it's almost been... I don't want to say enjoyable, but it's been quite an interesting storyline to watch Alonso struggle in the sense of he always seemed to make the wrong career decisions. And and because he would make them, then to be fair, you sometimes looked a bit too hard for them as well. And he would get criticised for leaving Ferrari when Ferrari ended up winning some races and, and getting close to being able to fight at the front with Vettel and Leclerc. But he'd left, like his previous contract would have ended by that time anyway. He'd, he'd, he'd left it early, but it would have run out by that point. But he went to McLaren and that went terribly. Uh, obviously, he left F1, came back to Alpine, was you know a bit hit and miss, and then jumps to Aston. And you're thinking, 
or if, if Alpine is suddenly quick next year and, and Aston's struggling again, having been struggling, then he's going to look pretty stupid. But it's actually been so refreshing to see Alonso back in a competitive car and to see it work out for him um, at this point in his career. Like the guy with the talent he's got, he deserves more than the two world championship he has. He deserves more race wins than he's got. Um, he's got 32 to his name. And there's this big kind of sway of uh, support in Spain about um, him going for the 33rd at some point this year. And it feels like it's certainly possible. The car is quick enough. Um, on average, the second quickest car. So Red Bull have a, a bad weekend or some misfortune or you get one of those crazy races with weather or an incident. He's absolutely got the machinery to pick up the pieces. Um, and with 20 races to the go, right now I'd put money on him doing it at least once, which is it's exciting because, as you say, he's absolutely proven he's still got the talent. Um, he's been performing so well to be that consistent. And that's what marked Alonso out at his best. Uh, even if we're going back 11 years now, I remember the 2012 season, he didn't have a particularly competitive car. It got a few wins. It was quite a way adrift of the Red Bull realistically, but he was so consistent. He took that fight right to the wire and nearly won the title at the final race. So that was one of the most complete seasons I've seen from a driver. And he's showing so far this year that he's still capable of doing that and at great pace. So um, yeah, that's a real strange. It's a real feel good story, which um, sounds odd when you're talking about kind of drivers that have been around for, over 20 years rather than rookies but um yeah it's it's been great to see it must be fun to be around him as well uh chris and your sort of role he is a little bit of a larrikin but uh we know when it's not going well for him he gets quite titchy and upset so it must be fun being around the paddock when he's when he's in good spirits like he is this season yeah absolutely i mean um there was a spell when he was at mclaren finishing up where it was kind of clear that he was having a bit of a negative impact on the team in the sense of he was clearly so frustrated, just kind of fed up with Formula One because it wasn't paying him back anymore. Things just weren't going his way. And the team didn't notice it until he left and then said, actually, getting Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris in at that point, it was like a breath of fresh air and they then realised the impact. But Alonso coming back after a couple of years away, refreshed, has been so good, so positive, still has those little cheeky kind of comments that he likes to make that usually big himself up admittedly um but you can he can back it up with his performances um that they're still in there so they're quite fun but also this year more than any ever actually he's been a lot more humble because he's talked about how good the car is or he's talked about how if essentially he just does a good enough job he'll get certainly certain good results uh, and if we talk about that 33rd win he's going for he was asked about it after the first race of the season where he finished third in Bahrain you know is it on the cards and I fully expected the Alonso of the past to say, oh, not really, or only if something miraculous happens, like I drive like the race of my life and, um, you know, get all this other lucky bits and, you know, essentially set himself up for if it happened, he could say, wow, that is the best thing anyone's ever done. But instead he just turned around and went, yeah, probably if we're starting this close at the front, yeah, something will probably come our way, um, which just showed how he's mellowed and or in a different headspace and, Again, yeah, really good to see because um, he's so good on track and so tenacious when he fights and um, just a, a real good character to have at the front of the grid. Chris Medlin joining us, uh, Formula One writer and broadcaster. A couple more for you before we finish up, Chris. Uh, the rookies, Oscar Piastri, Logan Sargent, Nick DeVries. Who was impressing you the most uh, to start 2023? Tough answer in for two reasons. So Oscar's impressing me the most if you look at his results and speaking to his team. And he's clearly an, an amazing talent. It's, it's great to have him on the grid now. And, and what I'm really pleased to see is that he's dealt with the pressure well of replacing Daniel Ricciardo because McLaren haven't given him a particularly competitive car this year. Um, it's not terrible, but it's not as competitive as it should have been. 
And that could have been a hard environment to go into. So if he just struggled in the first few races, the fact that it was Ricardo that got moved out for him, I think people would have jumped on him pretty quickly or on McLaren at least for making that decision. So um, he's dodged that bullet brilliantly because he's been right on Lando Norris's pace and very impressive with his performances so far. But then I look at Logan Sargent, who a lot of people had written off before he, he came in with Williams. Um, and I'd followed him closely because some work I do with some American websites and broadcasters um, up to now. I knew he had some raw pace, but I actually thought he'd struggle more than he has in terms of handling pressure and just the spotlight and dealing with F1. I thought it would take him a little while to find his feet. But he's actually had some really good, strong performances as well. Melbourne wasn't one of them, um, but but most of the first two races were, were pretty impressive from him and, and how close to Alex Albon he got. So in terms of an unexpected uh, level of impressiveness, I'd say Sargent. But overall, then, yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to go with Piastri, who's, um, I think, looking like he's been a, a really, really good move for McLaren. Um, and they've not got many highlights from this year, but that is certainly one of the decisions that they've got right. And a boy from down under too, so uh, I'm sure the Kiwis are going to get in behind him as well. Uh, just before we let you go, Chris, uh, the sprint formats, for those who aren't as well-versed in Formula 1, uh, often you have qualifying over the weekend, which sets the grid for the Sunday feature race, but between practice and qualifying, there was just sort of a lot of dead time on track. So they introduced a sprint race during a few events, which basically is a much shorter race, uh, and the results of that would then determine the grid on the Sunday. Uh, but the teams didn't really like it, they didn't really buy into it, they Chris but they've finally come uh, to a compromise with the FIA yeah so the, the issue we had was it would be uh, instead of qualifying on a Saturday you'd have qualifying on the Friday that would set the grid for the sprint on a Saturday and then you'd have the sprint race and that would set the grid for the race the main race on the Sunday but obviously if something went wrong in that sprint race your qualifying position for Sunday was massively harmed so drivers were a bit risk adverse during it teams themselves as well were a bit wary of doing anything silly and, and losing a load of positions so it wasn't quite all action and, and what people were hoping for. But also they had this practice session between Friday's qualifying and Saturday's sprint that kind of became pointless. So now what they're going to do is remove, or the plan is, to remove the the practice session on the Saturday morning, make that a separate qualifying session just for the sprint race, uh, and therefore Saturday is its own standalone event. So you still do qualifying on a Friday. Uh, that sets the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix. But Saturday, then you've got a qualifying session for the sprint race and a sprint race, which should mean drivers can take a bit more risk, um, kind of, you know, chase the points that are on offer in the shorter race, because there's no repercussions about where you finish in that for the Grand Prix on Sunday. That's the theory. Uh, it should mm. get signed off next week. That's the plan. Uh, it's only at six races this year that they use this format uh, and Baku being the next race is the first one of the year. So it's all, uh, all pretty last minute. And I, I know there's still some ironing out to do, but um, it, it's... I think it's a good idea whether they've got all the details right is always the tricky thing. Sometimes F1 does this and it sounds great. And then when it plays out, you realize there's a knock on impact that's not so good. So um, who will it, it maybe will be harsh to judge it just on next weekend. But uh, that will be uh, an exciting format change because it essentially means we're going to still have six on track sessions during a race weekend. And five of them will be competitive sessions. There'll just be one practice session on a Friday morning and then it's qualifying, qualifying, race, race. So, yeah. That's going to be going to be a lot of fun. And what's the points distribution for the uh, sprint race versus the the race on Sunday? So it's it's much lower. It's only the top eight that score uh, in a sprint. So instead of the whole distribution of going from twenty five for the winner down to one for tenth uh, in the Grand Prix, it's just eight points for the winner in the sprint and one in eighth place. So just descending by one for each spot. So uh, no point for the fastest lap in the sprint either. But you do get that in the Grand Prix. So it's. Um, it's a lower level kind of paying result, but it, it's only essentially a third of the race distance. 
Uh, it is meant to be kind of like a, a quick dash. And at certain circuits, it will be exciting in the sense. So Baku's tended to have drama um, at many of its Grand Prix. They're a bit chaotic sometimes. And there's a chance, you know, if someone makes a good start or something happens on the first lap, then you could get a mixed up result. But uh, I think the thing we always have to remember is if you've got a, especially when you've got a dominant team, but anytime you do qualifying as normal, you're, you're asking the drivers to show how quick each car is and you end up with a grid that forms roughly in pace order, which means the race tends to then go off roughly in pace order. And that's why mm. sometimes you get some dull events. There's always a risk when you do two races in a weekend that you just get the same thing twice. But mm. um, hopefully what we will see is just drivers taking a bit more risks. Chris, thanks so much for coming on, mate. I know it's late over there. It's been great talking Formula One with you. Azerbaijan this weekend, Baku, which we know is always good for a little bit of carnage. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, we will have to catch up again soon and reassess the season, which I'm sure uh, will throw up some more surprises for us, as it always does. Really appreciate you coming on, mate. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Absolutely. It's always good to be on. Oh, fantastic. Chris, Sammy, I just sat back as a listener. I enjoyed that. Azerbaijan, time of day, Sam, time of day of the race? At 11 o'clock Sunday evening, I believe. Oh, it's a latey. Yeah, but, you know, it's only going to be an hour and a half, so you get, you know, midnight. It's just like a rugby league game, isn't mm, it? Yeah, Finish it is. at midnight. All right, let's have a quick break. We'll come back on the other side.